0: We are Hope Church, Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, if you've sneaked in since my earlier welcome, welcome again. I'm so pleased that you've come along to Hope Church this evening as we celebrate Christmas. And it's so good to be reminded again of the Christmas story from those readings and from the songs that we've been singing where we come from and where we live can often tell us a lot about who we are and where we're going and what the future looks like and lots of people take time to dig into their heritage and into their background to discover um, about themselves it helps to give them an indication of perhaps what's ahead my surname is Kimbangi And it means witness. It comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where my father came from, and uh, where I lived as a child in the very early years of my life. Trying to trace my heritage, though, is really quite tricky. Partly because records aren't very good in that part of the world, um, but also because my father's family, so all his siblings, their surname is Lutumba. And uh, what happened was that Uh, my grandparents, they had some close friends who during a really difficult time served them and helped them really well and so they decided to call my father after them, Kimbangi and so when I trace my own family, and when I look back to my heritage, I have to trace the line of Lutumba, not Kimbangi, which is complicated but more than that, during the kind of colonialization of Africa, then the kind of lines were just cut in straight lines often if you look through you can see straight lines everywhere and where my family used to live actually that was kind of the line went through where their tribe was and so my, if I trace my heritage I actually need to go into Angola not into Congo to find out more and again similar situations and difficulty trying to track it through so I, it's quite difficult for me to do that. But you might find it easier, maybe not I don't know. If um, when, when we do that though it's, it's often a really good thing to do and whilst I can't trace my ancestry very well through the Bible we're able to trace through the ancestry of Jesus for a couple of thousand years actually right back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis to Abraham and taking the time to trace whose Jesus' family line is and the place where he has come from is a good thing because it tells us a little bit about Jesus. And so during the next 20 minutes or so, I just want to share a little bit about this little town of Bethlehem and this place where Jesus came from. Now, if you were going to start a new religion or a political regime that was going to take over the world or to go across the world, then you'd probably start with a metropolitan city. Maybe London or Rome or Jerusalem, something like that. Maybe Abu Dhabi or New York. You probably wouldn't start with Bogla Regis or Didcot or something. Sorry if you come from there. But 2,000 years ago, God sent his one only son, not to the religious capital, Jerusalem, or the political capital, Rome, but to this little town of Bethlehem. It's quite a strange choice. If I was God, I probably wouldn't have done that. And yet he did. And so let's have a look a little bit about this place, Bethlehem. And we're going to start off by just sharing what it means. And then we're going to track some people who went to Bethlehem and came out of Bethlehem. So in Hebrew, Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's an extraordinary name for a little village. It's actually situated in the Judean hills. And... It's an extremely fertile area. If you traveled up to it from the Dead Sea, then you'd be traveling through desert, desert upon desert. But then suddenly you'll get to this amazing fertile land where there's archaeologists tell us of six water springs, natural water springs around it. And so it's this fertile place and um, known as this house of bread, green and lush. Whenever you came to Bethlehem, you'd know know it as a place of hospitality, as a place of refuge, as a place of nourishment. Jesus shows us that he has come also to nourish and to share and to feed a hungry and starving world. After Jesus' death and resurrection, we now celebrate all that he did actually through a meal, through bread and wine. He was even born in a manger, which is an eating trough. For animals. He is a present to the world. Bon appetit. Jesus, uh, sorry, in uh, Arabic, Bethlehem, so Bethlehem, means house of meat or the house of lamb. It was always, it's always been associated with lambing. So shepherds again, would go there. Often in the winter months, they would kind of sojourn and travel around. But when it got to the summer, and it was really, really hot, they would go to Bethlehem because it's trees and it's shade and it's branches and it's water sources. And so it's, it's a lambing place, it's a place where uh, shepherds would come and they would raise their lambs and they would look after them. And about four or five miles away from Bethlehem is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, as a religious capital, was a place where lots of celebrations would take place and they would sacrifice lambs. And so many, many uh, shepherds would go to Bethlehem to take care of their sheep and their flocks. And then during these big celebrations, they would then take their herd up to Jerusalem and then they would be bought for this sacrificial uh, things and um when we meet jesus born in this house of lamb we meet one who says of himself i am the good shepherd i'm like a shepherd i know how to look after my flock i've come to care for my sheep when one goes astray i'm willing to go after that one and run after them i've come to gather lost sheep because i care i care about each one but we also meet one who John the Baptist announced as the Lamb of God, the one who also traveled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to be sacrificed uh, for the cleansing of people's sins in ritual celebration. So we meet this Jesus, the Lamb of God, born in Bethlehem, sacrificed in Jerusalem at Passover to take the sins of the world. In Bethlehem at Christmas, we behold the great shepherd And we also behold the Lamb of God. And so those just the names of Bethlehem tell us a lot about Jesus. But so do the people who ended up going to Bethlehem. So let me just share a few stories of people who ended up in Bethlehem. There's a lady called Rachel. She's found in Genesis chapter 35. And Rachel was barren. She couldn't have any children. But by God's grace she was able to conceive and she was blessed with a son called Joseph. And they, as a family, decided to leave where they were and go to Bethlehem. But tragically, on the journey, on the way to Bethlehem, she gave, went into labour early and she gave birth to a son called Benjamin, but during that, she, it was very painful and she died. Jacob's beloved wife, who had died, gave birth to a son in that moment and tears were brought and Bethlehem, then, is a place actually where people who are suffering, who are tearful, who have gone through all sorts of difficulty and tragedies, are welcome to come to. Um, Here's a picture, oh, if you go back, sorry, to the tomb. Um, Here you go, here's a picture actually, where, this is the, the side of the road just outside Bethlehem, where they say Rachel was buried. And many people go there, even now, today, they go there and pray, and they pray for, for, for God to give them children. If the people that are barren particularly go there to pray, because she was barren and God gave her a child. And they, and they go and they, they take their tears, and they take their pain, and they take their hurt, and they go there. And this uh, Rachel, who was buried on the side of the, of the road, is kind of like the patron saint of in-betweenness. The, the person who's kind of state... the the refugee, the person who kind of, she's not in that culture, you would normally be buried with your family back home, with all your relatives, and yet she's just buried on the side of the road away from all of that. She's this person who's kind of on a journey but not quite arrived. She's never found her resting place with her family. And Rachel can identify with anyone who who seeks asylum or who's a refugee who is buried away from home, who's stateless, who's marginalised, who's sad, who's suffering, who's disconnected in some way with the rest of her family. And she is part of Jesus' story. And Jesus is one in Matthew two actually we find out that uh, just part of the Christmas story we heard Matthew one and Matthew two it says that Rachel was weeping when Herod was trying to kill all the children at the time of Jesus' birth and so she appears in the Christmas story and and yeah actually we find that Jesus is one who receives people who are going through difficulties, who receives people in sadness, who receives people in pain, who receives people that are marginalised, who receive people that are perhaps stateless or refugees or stuck, who are kind of there but not quite, who are in that place. Bethlehem does, and so does Jesus. There's another lady called Rahab. So this is the next picture. Rahab um, is a prostitute. And she lives on the edge of a wall and there, was a, uh, yeah. and there was a time where living on the edge of the wall was a really dangerous place to live. Because if an enemy came to attack you, then you'd be the first one to die. If war came, then you would be the first to be destroyed. Being a prostitute in that society, not having a husband, um, having that kind of means of income meant that she was bottom of society, that she was despised, that she had all sorts of shame. And yet what happens to her is she gets ends up in the Bethlehem story. See what happens is that one night some spies come from the people of God who are about to come and overtake her nation and she welcomes them in. She is hospitable to them. She kind of has the heart of Bethlehem, which is a very hospitable place where people can go and have refuge and have safety and have nourishment and bread. And she has this same heart. She welcomes them in, into the city walls. And the spies say to her, when we come, we're, we promise not to destroy your household. We're, we're gonna keep you safe. And what happens is that the invasion comes Every single home and every part of that whole city of Jericho is destroyed. There's rubble and fumes, but one house stands, and that's Rahab's house. And every single person who went into Rahab's house was saved, didn't face destruction. Rahab goes on to marry a prince, and this is a prince of the tribe of Judah, and uh, a man called Salmon is in this tribe of Judah, in, and comes from the place of Bethlehem. So Rahab, this prostitute, this one who was in shame, who was on the edge of society, who was kind of despised in her community, ends up marrying a prince of Bethlehem, brought into his household and given a place of honour and respect, and ends up being in the direct line of Jesus. She ends up living the rest of her life in Bethlehem and she is given a new identity, a new name and a new address. She has gone from an outsider to an insider, from an enemy of God to a friend of God, full of shame, given an honourable name. Rahab didn't deserve it and yet God, by his grace and love, extended his care to her. Bethlehem is a place of hospitality where outsiders and foreigners are welcomed in, are brought in. And she um, was welcomed in as well. You know, God's church and his people welcome everyone in. Jesus was born in this same place, Bethlehem. And a, a future prince of Bethlehem, he welcomes people in too. And so does his church. And lots of people who entered into Rahab's house, her family, her cousins, her aunties, her uncles, might have said, well, why are you Rahab? Why, why are you so special? Why? And they might have had all sorts of different questions about why going into Rahab's house would save them. But all they needed was enough faith to step into a household and they were taken care of and they didn't face destruction. In exactly the same way, you might have all sorts of questions about Christianity, about Jesus, about this whole manger and the trough story. All it needs is enough faith to come to him. And you can know salvation and hope and joy and new dignity and new honour and restoration and hope for a future. It's an amazing uh, reflection of what happens when we come to know God. Our whole life has changed, and your life can be changed too. This will happen through through this place, this town of Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem is a place that welcomes everyone in, no matter their circumstances, situations, or background. and so, the last thing I'd like to look at then, having looked at some people that entered into Bethlehem, is look at some people that were in Bethlehem, and what do they tell us about Jesus? One of those people was a guy called Judah. So Judah, he, you know, I've talked already about how Bethlehem is in this land of Judah, it's in the Judean hills, and uh, why should the Messiah be born there? Well, Genesis cracks through the people of God and starts with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and Jacob has 12 sons and one of his most famous sons is Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You might have heard about him. The fourth son he had was a guy called Judah. Judah had three older brothers, uh, Levi, Simeon and Reuben and they weren't very good actually. They end up getting involved in all sorts of like sexual immorality and violence and to be honest Judah isn't much better. He is complicit in selling his younger son, Joseph, into slavery to the Egyptians. And uh, there's a lady called Tamar who's a Canaanite, and she confronts Judah. She speaks truth to power. And Judah realises that he's done wrong. And he is the first person in the Bible to kind of realise that and take responsibility for his actions. So far, he get to Genesis 35. And after that, his whole life turns around. Later, his youngest brother, Benjamin, a cup is found in his bag. And he's about to be taken by the Egyptians as well to be held captive as a slave like his brother, Joseph. And yet Judas steps in and says, no, don't take him. Take me instead. He says, hey, I will be a sacrifice in the place of my younger brother, Benjamin. He um, he says, "Don't let him suffer; let me suffer instead." Judah qualifies himself for leadership, and in the Bible, leadership is about taking responsibility, sacrificial service on behalf of others. Judah ends up being described like a lion, um, so you can click onto the next slide. But he shows leadership by offering himself as a lamb, as a sacrifice instead. Many generations later, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. He comes from this same lion. And John in Revelation, he has a bit of a vision. And he looks for a lion and he hears a lion roaring. But when he turns and sees, he sees a lamb. One who is willing to take responsibility by self-sacrifice. Jesus epitomized this kind of... Uh, nature in himself willing to give up his life for others just like judah had done many many years before him jesus took on the sin of the world in our place he took responsibility and he shows us how he can turn any life around even judas you might be someone like judah who's messed up who's done horrendous things but jesus is able to turn every life around he takes responsibility himself Self sacrifice in order to give you freedom and hope for a future and joy in this life. So that's Judah. There's another guy called Boaz. See, Boaz is Rahab's son. Rahab, that prostitute that we heard about earlier. And so he was born to Salmon and Boaz is another son of Bethlehem he lives there and like his father Salmon Boaz um, he welcomes in the marginalized the desperate the destitute there's a lady called Ruth who he ends up marrying and Ruth was from a land called Moab she had lost her husband she had lost all her means of income she was in a famine she was probably barren because she'd been married 10 years and had no children and yet Boaz welcomes her in She crosses over into Bethlehem, and in the book of Ruth, it tells us that she arrives in Bethlehem just at the time of harvest, just as uh, this house of bread is fully stocked. She's this outsider, just like his mother, Rahab, but Boaz notices her. He sees her humanity, and in his position of wealth, of influence, and of privilege, he takes responsibility for this marginalised and vulnerable person and looks after her. He was very brave. It cost him a lot to do what he did. It was countercultural in every way because Ruth was from a people group that was despised by those in Bethlehem. And she was a widow, and because she was barren, and because she had a bitter mother-in-law who he would have to take responsibility of as well, it meant that anyone who married her would bring shame on their own family. It could cost an income and status in society, but Boaz was willing to be the laughing stock of his community to lose his reputation and his status in order to give honor and dignity to Ruth. He decreased by association with her in order that she might increase by association with him. He chooses to pay the cost of that relationship on himself instead of her having to pay the price. Many years later, a man called Joseph, another man from Bethlehem, finds out that he, the person he's engaged to is pregnant with a child, and he knows he hasn't had sex with her. And yet, and if he, and because of that, there's shame brought on the family. But he decides to stick by her, and he marries her anyway, and they end up giving birth to Jesus. His association with her means that he decreases in reputation, in society, but it honors Mary and lifts her up. And in the same way today, just like Boaz followed his father, Salmon, Jesus follows his father, Joseph. And by his association with me and you, who have done wrong, who have messed up, who sin, he decreases, even to death and death on a cross. But by our association with him, we are honored and we can find dignity And respect and hope and life and love and a future plan for us that we can live for and know Him. It's an amazing trade. He takes away all our sin and all our shame and all our pain and we get all His love and all His dignity and all His honour and all His worth. It's incredible. All from this little town of Bethlehem. I want to give one more story. This is David. David is another man from Bethlehem. You might have heard about him. He's the one that. Defeats Goliath, the giant. And he is the son of Jesse. And Jesse comes from Bethlehem. Jesse has eight sons. But when a man comes to anoint one of his sons as king, he presents just seven of them. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion. And so he says, oh, this is complete. This is this is all you need to see. Come and have a look. And a man called Samuel comes along and he weighs up all the all his sons. He says, no, no, it's not none of these. Have you, haven't you got another son? Have you got another son? He says, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got this. Is, it's... I've got another boy. He's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's feeding his flocks. What he's doing, he's being a good shepherd. He's at work. And Samuel orders everyone to wait for this this son David to return. He says, No one can eat. And he ends up anointing this shepherd, David, as king. Eighth, the eighth one was superfluous in Jesse's eyes. He had the least important job, he was overlooked. Who is despised, Who was marginalised, but Samuel says, no, call him. That's the one I want. And when he comes, the Bible says that God poured out his spirit on David. This marginal, overlooked, despised person in a little overlooked village in the corner of the world in this little town of Bethlehem is the person that God decides to choose to be the next king of this massive nation. Do you know what? You need to know that no one is too superfluous for God. No one is too overlooked. No one is too young. No one is too old. No one is too left out. No one is too despised. You can know him. And David, he was born in Bethlehem, but he ends up dying in Jerusalem. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem and ends up dying in Jerusalem. David is a shepherd who becomes king. Jesus is known as the good shepherd who looks after his flocks, who cares, and yet is now king. Born in a small, marginalised country, often Jesus is overlooked, often he's despised, often he's rejected. Even today, people think, oh, it's just made up rubbish. And yet he comes as a wonderful shepherd, willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He doesn't come like the kings of this world, but instead he comes as the son of God. You know, sometimes kings look like shepherds, and Jesus is the greatest one of them all. So I wonder, have you overlooked Jesus this Christmas? Have you overlooked him? Have you heard these stories of think oh, it's loads of rubbish? I encourage you to look again. And in the new year, in February, we're going to be running a course called Alpha. And that is an eight-week series. It's on Monday nights where you can come and find out more about the claims of Christianity, more about this guy, Jesus. You can find out about, well, if there's really a God, how come suffering happens in the world? If there's really a God, how come I I don't always feel him or see him or know him? If there's really a God, well, what about my Auntie Sue who's sick and hurting? If there's really a God, how can I get to know him? How can I have faith? These are great questions to ask and at Hope Church we want to provide a place for you to ask those questions and to talk and discuss and to chat with other people who have different ideas, all sorts of different ideas about life and what it means. And so on your seats there's a leaflet about Alpha and I'd love you to get in touch with us if that's something that you'd like to do and find out more about. But in response to this King Jesus being born in a manger, born in a stable, In the back of an inn, in this sleepy little town of Bethlehem, you know, shepherds and wise men alike end up coming to bow at his feet. That's what happens at the Christmas story. The richest and the poorest ever since continue to come and give their life to Jesus and trust him and live for him. The sick come to him to be healed. The sinful and guilty come to him to be set free and forgiven. The outsiders come to him to be included. The marginalised come to be accepted. Those in tears and desperation find solace and hope. Mourning turns to joy. Ashes turn to praise. Despair turns to hope. Whoever you are, rich, poor, young, old, wise or foolish, you can come and know Jesus too. And he's the one who restores people like Boaz. He sacrifices himself on behalf of others like Judah, and he's anointed by God as king like David. Can I pray, and we're gonna come and sing again? Maybe with the band, I come back up while I do that. Dear God, I thank you that this Christmas, we can come again and look at this story of Jesus, born in a manger, in a a stable in Bethlehem. And I thank you that throughout the whole of the Bible, we see loads of stories about different people who go to Bethlehem or come out of Bethlehem. And I thank you that that tells us so much of what we need to know about this amazing baby Jesus born in the manger, who grew up, who lived, who gave his life up on the cross and who rose again, defeating death, Thank you that today, thousands of years later, we can put our trust in Jesus. And Jesus, you come. You include us. You welcome us. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you. And I pray today that for each and every one of us this Christmas, that we would know your joy in our hearts. That we would know your presence in our lives. I pray for all those different things that we feared about ourselves that we need, that we might be ashamed of, that we are hurting with Lord, I pray, would you come and meet our needs? Would you come and speak to us? Would we know your presence with us today and throughout this Christmas time? Be with us, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.